Welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. This is is definitely... The coolest podcast setting I've ever been in. Bert, we got Bert Soren, got Sturgill Simpson. We're in an old. Is this either a chicken coop, skin and shack, or a mule shed? I don't know, but this is super oh, yeah. awesome. It's called the Trapper Cabin. We got a crystal chandelier and about four hundred twenty inches of elk horns. Yeah, it's dynamite, and I don't know. It's just rustic enough to where I just really want to be skinning something in here right now. What do you feel like? Could you record an album in here? What no. would you call it? Uh, this would not be good for recording. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it would. Maybe you'd break through to a different sound. That trapper cabin sound. You're going to hear all those bugs and birds and oh. everything. Yeah, but that's part of it. I guess, I mean, you know, technically you could. Grasshoppers are true bluegrass, in my opinion. Fair enough. Yep. I love that about. I love that about the South. It's very noisy. I, well, I don't know. I love I love shooting first thing in the morning because it's like, honestly, when I wake up and I'm making my coffee, I know it's getting light out, but I don't know really how light. But then at a certain point, like the songbirds start, and I'm like, if they can see, I can see. That's Ooh. it. Do you, do you practice much uh, shooting at low light just where it's more... Uh, associated with actual hunting light? I don't know if I do it for that reason. I do it more in just being conscious of the wind. I just like to, like, a lot of times if I'm going to lift in the morning, especially if I know I'm going to lift heavy that day, I'll get up and I'll shoot first and I'll kind of shoot and wake my body up and I'll drink, you know, I normally drink like one French press of coffee before I work out. So if I'm going to practice, I'll practice for those two cups of coffee. Otherwise, I'll be like chilling in my hot tub for two cups of coffee and like answer some DMs and stuff. But if I'm going to lift heavy, I'll practice first thing in the morning, like right when sun's coming up and just, I don't know, it's peaceful. Sometimes I like, sometimes I just take my shoes off and just like shoot in the morning dew, just like barefoot it. Just because you, you mow your lawn twice a week, three times a week. Does Harry do it or do you do it? We alternate. Harry will do it twice a week. I like to do it once a week. I do it once a week so I can catch up on podcasts. All right. Yeah, like if, like if I know Joe has a podcast with someone that I'm like really want to listen to, like I listened to your podcast. That was a cool podcast. Several people told me your podcast was cool and you had the band on. So I like I like mowed my lawn twice. I like mowed my lawn twice just to like cut up the clippings. I did that to make everybody feel involved or included. I don't think I'd ever do it again because the conversation flow can only go so many ways. And a couple of the guys got distracted and started having their own little party at the end of the table. And I could tell <laughs> Joe got annoyed. Yeah, it was just so. It's not a good. It's hard. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely it's it's hard anytime you like anytime you travel in a big group. And everyone wants to like make plans of what everyone wants to do. At some point, mm-hmm. it's like everyone wants to just do what everyone wants to do in the moment. 
this is the perfect size group. Like I told you guys, because um, we were going to have Crispy was supposed to come, kind of had some stuff come up last minute, and we were like, should we get someone else? And I just said, I don't know. This is perfect. I can watch two people shoot, and I can cover both bases from one point, like one point. This would be perfect. So what do you think? You're one day into archery. You're You're like... 22 hours into archery right now well i think uh it's gonna be something that i probably do every day just to relax i think you were, we're 22 hours in <laughs> i've probably shot i don't know 25 or 30 arrows i think you've shot more than that i have this giant I was strawberry guess, on my i was gonna arm, guess 40 so to like, 50 pretty stoked about it yeah, I'm glad I got this out of the way day, day one. <laughs> Yesterday we were talking about hand position. He's like, what happens if I don't get my front arm out of the way? And I just said, well. Now I know. <laughs> yeah, I said, well, if you don't, you're going to hit it. And when you do, you'll never hit it again. So I forgot how I said it, but it was something like that. But when it happened, did you see how perfect my right hand was on my cheekbone? Because that's all I was thinking yeah, about. Yeah, it was, was that's all thinking, I was watching yeah, was your yeah. right hand. And then when you shot, you just really nonchalantly, you're like, whoa, dude, look at this thing grow. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And I look at your arm, I'm like, oh, your arm was right in the path of the string. You're like, yep. And then... I don't know. I'd say within two minutes, you said, am I supposed to pop that thing or something? <laughs> <laughs> looks cool now. All it looks all legit. purple in a way. It's just a strawberry now. Yeah. yeah it just it, looks it, like it, a big it hickey. came up, though. You had a little Popeye act. Big forearm hickey. But we gave you motivation for your next song. Do you remember what Honey the name Buns and Hematobins. <laughs> Honey Buns and Hematobins. Yeah, I told Bert that. There's a point when you head south, and I think it's St. Louis, maybe it's Metropolis, Illinois, but there's a point where you don't find honey buns and you don't get sweet tea. And there's like a very distinct line somewhere in that realm. Because I know if you go to like Lambert's in like Sykeston, Missouri, you can get sweet tea there. You ever seen that? That's not the south. There's no way. Home of the throat rolls. Huh? Missouri That's not the south, south but it's people in South Carolina don't even know where Missouri is. Uh, well, I'm not surprised by that. But <laughs> yeah, but I, I still I think there's a point where you're not far enough, like you're not far enough south to where you can get sweet tea, honey buns. Right. Like you know, I remember going down to Mississippi and hunting and wanting breakfast before a hunt, and I'm like, well, I, you know, normally I have breakfast. What am I going to eat? And like. Uncle's like one of those honey buns over honey there. Buns will do it. And I'm like, what? What do you do with that? And he's like, crack the corner, 15 seconds in the microwave. Let's hit it. No, so you actually heated yours up. I was more of a. Like, <laughs> I was more left them in the, uh, the 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 glove box of the truck back when I was a kid, and then you always had some little survival foods there. I don't really know what you were surviving. My uncle would mess with me. Because when I was kind of a little, I was kind of a little bitch actually, because I was being raised in like Chicago suburb, but I kind of got everything I wanted, and I didn't like, I didn't like sausage biscuits, but I like sausage and egg McMuffins, 
And so when my uncle dropped me off every year for Thanksgiving, I'd go to Mississippi and I'd hunt with my uncle for seven days. We'd be down there. And so he'd pick me up in the morning, take me out, drop me in a stand, and then he'd come get me whenever he got me, whether it was at dark or whether it was at noon or whenever. And he tried to teach me all these lessons. Like he'd say, I'd, you know, I'd go, well, what time are you going to, what time are you going to come get me? And he, you know, and he'd say, well, I don't know. I got to work. So whenever I can be there. And then he's like, you know, make sure you're ready at nine o'clock. And I'd say, oh, okay. And then kind of look at my arms and, you know, don't own a watch. And I'd be like, oh, I don't have a watch. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, you're going to miss the prime time. But like knowing him now, I know that he was looking at me thinking this kid don't have a watch. So I'm going to tell him like all the deer are going to move at nine. And I'd be like, oh, I don't have a watch. And he'd be like, oh, you know what time it is? No, time to get a watch. <laughs> it's just hard knocks. And then he would make me hunt all day. And he'd say, hey, do you want anything to eat? You know, later on, I want to come get you. I'd say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I don't like sausage biscuits, you know. Just get me like a McMuffin or something. And then guess what would be in the back seat? Freaking sausage biscuit. And he would like, and I know he would buy that sucker when he dropped me off. And it would sit in that bag until like whenever he picked me up. And that's when I, and I'd, I'd be like, oh, what is it? You know, starving to death. Oh, I Old think it's a sausage, sausage biscuit. It's <laughs> <laughs> like Pops used to say to me camping. And when I was a kid, I used to bitch and complain about onions and peppers and mushrooms because, like, I'm a yeah, kid, right? That was totally me. Yeah. And uh, he would usually bring some meat source and onions and peppers. And that was it. There was no candy. There was no honey buns. There was no, like, you're going to you're gonna eat freaking tinfoil in the fire, onions and peppers, or you're just going to go to sleep cold and hungry. And you learn. What was your nemesis as a kid? Yeah, uh, probably. T- well, it started out as something I loved, but then I ate so many of them, I became burnt out, and I hated them. Was chicken livers? Like fried, oh god, fried chicken livers! When I was a kid, when I was a little kid, my mom would have to pull them out of my mouth, so I wouldn't choke them. I would just shove them, cram them down my mouth. You loved them, I loved them, but then at a certain point, I was just like. What what do I see in this? <laughs> Where is my life going? With yeah, these, these, these are actually were you gizzard too, or just liver? Would you gizzard mostly it? the livers? I don't remember gizzard ever going because gizzards were popular for a while too. Yeah, were they? Were bad deal too. And then those brown sugar cinnamon pop tarts. I ate so many of those as a kid that even the smell now of a pop tart makes me kind of nauseous. It does a little bit. They're distinctive. Because Harry's on this, he's on a Pop-Tart kick right now. And when they're in a toaster, you're like, yep. it's it's as distinctive as Cinnabon in like an airport or a mall. Or you're a like, Subway. Yeah, Subway's you're, very... You walk in Subway and it, that smell. The Dr. McGillicuddy's from high school. What's that? Never mind. <laughs> no, that, the peppermint schnapps, it just... That's, that was... Too much of it. And that was it for me. One time, and if you ever smell it again, you want to die. Because I told you, like, I drank twice. I drank, like, twice in my teenage life. And the, the first time, I don't remember what it was, but I remember specifically the second time I was a teenager, and our neighbor next door looked like... He either looked like he was like right out of like warrant 
<laughs> I mean, I'm talking, I'm talking a red Trans Am with T-tops. He had like three feet of blonde locks, white leather jacket. I mean, this is late 80s, early 90s. Like either warrant or white leather jacket. That yeah, is dude. Bold, man. And so ten marks of like Metallica stuff on his jeans. Yeah, I mean it's it's Motley Crue, Metallica, Poison. Like it's one of those. Doc and Skid Row. Like there's not a lot of options of what it was. But I remember my friends wanting to you know we wanted to drink so i went over there and we we like each of us threw in a fiver and i had 20 bucks and i went across the street when this dude was like walking out you know freaking big old head banging mops flopping and i go hey man hey 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 uh is there any way you could get some like get some booze for me and my friends and he just kind of looked at me kind of like who are you and i'm like i lit I live right across the street. I see you every day when I'm outside playing basketball. And he's just like, house takes 60%. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> nice. I go, well, see, see what you can get me for eight bucks. <laughs> and he came back with a giant bottle of like super off-grade peppermint schnapps. Ugh. And that was my first like hard oh. drinking high How school. How that worked out for you? Dude. We had, there were two things we had, and this was, you know, a bunch of punk kids trying to get wasted for the first time. We had peppermint schnapps, and another one of my buddies somehow had like a plastic container of snuff. So we were like, and I'm like, what is this? And obviously it's nicotine that you sniff, you know. Whoever's listening, this is podcast going down a terrible rat hole, not archery related at the present time, but. Um, it just got to the point where we were trying this snuff for nicotine and peppermint schnapps. And I just remember like waking up at some point in the morning, just praying to God to please, if I make it through this night, I'm never going to do this again. And that was, and I was good for at least a decade. I was like <laughs> totally good because I remember just throwing up just black uh, clear vomit, just like snuff mixed in peppermint schnapps, yep. and that and that peppermint just like it was just the gift that keeps on giving. That's atrocious. And I've never touched it since. Peppermint schnapps, nineteen ninety four Metallica concert. <laughs> yeah, never again. You know what's crazy is, do you know uh, Fireball was actually Dr. McGillicuddy's when it started? So Dr. McGillicuddy's, the first bottles of Fireball was Dr. McGillicuddy's and it had a comet across it. It was a white label with a comet and it was Cinnamon Fireball by Dr. McGillicuddy's. Hmm. And we had like the very first bottles and me and Bert had it up in BC Hmm. on a moose hunt. And he was just like, man, is this good, you know? Is this good? It's so good. And, yeah, and that's uh, that's where Fireball started was Dr. McGillicuddy's, and then obviously someone bought it. And then now it's Fireball, and the label's different. Ignite the Night. And this was when you guys were teenagers? Yeah. Well, not the Fireball. That was that was later. That was in the 30s. Hmm. Yep. That was yeah. post. I had older kids ask me to drive them to the Metallica concert in Charlotte. And uh, so we got there, and then they bummed a bottle of Dr. McGillicuddy's off of some rocker chick. 
And uh, was it originally licorice? Like, what was the no, original? It was certainly, I don't know. What I had was like tastes like scope, which is <laughs> which is hard to uh, drink any or any swish with scope these days. But yeah, it was the worst. That's what we drink in the navy. Y'all never drink in the navy, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The scope, scope, and listerine mostly underway. Did you? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Now, how effective is that? Of course, I've heard about it. I've heard of Aquaman. You have to drink well. a lot. Do you? And it's it tastes gross. Or sometimes, uh, I knew a couple guys that would steal potatoes off the mess hall and ferment them, ferment them in trash bags down in the engine room and stuff, and make. Potato liquor? Potato liquor. Oh, that oh gosh, dang. Uh, man, you know, if you spend 96, 112 days out at sea, you, you'll you drink some shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, with, with no hesitation. Yeah, you're like, it yeah. can't, be, can't be worse than this. Yeah. yeah. What's that? Well, then, than, than being at sea? No. I don't think anything is probably worse than being stuck What's the longest you've been out at sea? Longest I ever did in a row was 112 days. Without seeing did, land. Correct. Without seeing land. Oh. Yeah. Did it seem like eternity? It felt like prison. What's the worst so part The uniforms it? are even very similar. Uh, <laughs> the worst part about it is, well, it depends on your job and how your how your watch rotation lands. Whereas I, I, my what we did, we were like six on, six off. And that was from the time you pulled out from the pier until you pulled back in again. So you're you're on watch for six hours, and then you're off for six oh. hours, and then you're on watch for six hours. So by the second, halfway through the second or third day, especially like I, I worked in this little room, so we couldn't see daylight. It was uh, like in the, they call it the combat information center, and it's just this dark room with all the radars and the bloopity lights and people writing backwards on the glass like you see in the movies and then you so you would go in this room for six hours and come out and then in that six hours off you had to eat sleep work out read whatever you were going to do so in a 24-hour period your body yeah it took like two or three days before you didn't really know if you're coming or going it's almost like i would work for six and then do my reading workouts eat like chill then I would work for six then I would sleep for six like that that's almost like I don't think I'd mix up sleep every other one it was the constant rotation you had no days off no days off underway we what I did after about the third or fourth days I just slept every single second I wasn't on watch most of the time you don't even take your clothes off you just crawl in the bunk and pass out because you're just stressed out and uh, it's a lot of, you know, getting as much done as efficiently as possible with as few people as possible in a very confined space. So it's, you just climb in that rack and shut the curtain and that's your only privacy, you know. For a hundred something days. For a hundred something days. At what point, days. like. And that was, the, that was an extreme, uh, we, but we would go out regularly for two, three, four weeks at a time like it was nothing. And Were you point, always in the same room? For work, yeah, that little underway, kid. yes, yeah, that was our assigned workspace. Our like, what works. was your? Did you have a like a speciality? That Me was, personally, yeah, yeah. I was like a radar operation and maintenance and navigation, and then I would run the chart table, like plotting the ship's course for the weapon systems and just a general. You know, they have to always have to keep a record and a log of where the ship is exactly. So we have this giant table with these charts on it. 
and all these tools you'd have to swing around and they'd call out coordinates or like radar pings and we have to trace that line and then we'd run man overboard drills and uh, throw the search and rescue swimmers in the water and then we I was on a, a little tiny ship and our main mission I guess you would say was like uh, what they call VBSS or vessel boarding search and seizure and we'd go all over around uh, Southeast Asia Straits of Hormuz Persian Gulf and down into like Singapore and Australian waters and just monitor international shipping traffic and freighter and container ships and then board them and check the manifest against their cargo and the crews and make sure everybody was jeez it was like ocean police I guess <laughs> bunch, of, bunch of 20 year old idiots with shotguns and flag jackets running around screaming like basically you can imagine how professional that probably looks <laughs> how much did that relate to once you started working on the railroad in Utah uh a lot of it actually because um, yeah it seems a, like a the large percentage of railroad employees are former military because one they know you know how to live out of a bag and two <laughs> they know you can deal with a really shitty schedule without bitching too much and it's uh the environments are very similar in terms of there's not a lot of uh kid gloves you know yeah. there's not a lot of gray area everything's pretty black and white and needs to be done now or you're fired so like I didn't I didn't have any problem with it. It really felt very similar. Yeah, you seem like you actually kind of enjoyed that role when I talked to you about it. It's not like it's not like you talk about it like a job that sucked. You it was a good about, job. Yeah, you talk about for, it like for somebody with no college degree. I mean, I was making great money, man. What about the hours sucked, the stress sucked, but you become. Uh, condition, I guess, from the military. If nothing else, you learn how to compartmentalize stress yeah. and emotional capacity. Or hopefully, you do. Or hopefully, some some better than others, I guess. But um, I, I enjoyed that job. I just didn't like. Once I took a management position, the job changed very drastically. Did you almost like your previous role? Uh, if I had, yeah, if I was still out there throwing switches or or building the trains, I I may have never moved to Nashville. It was the because you told me the stress of it was the stress and also just you ever you ever just done something you know this is not where you're supposed to be this is not what you're supposed to be doing it's just like like, everything I've ever done but archery right yeah (laughs) going to these like management seminars and conference calls and just playing the game I was like this is not me man I was eating acid when I was fifteen like who am I fooling. <laughs> okay, what was your first? What was your first vision quest? How'd that go? You remember it? Oh yeah, very, very. Uh, it was the night before Thanksgiving, my sophomore year, junior or sophomore year of high school is whatever year that Beatles anthology came out because it was oh, the only dang. thing on TV. Yeah, yeah sure. Result, there was I the documentary. Downloading that, uh-huh. and me and sure. a buddy. He had an older sister. We got a hold of some gel tabs and thought it would, for whatever reason, it was cool to give it to her little 15, however, 15, 16 year old brother. And we ate it that night and uh, went and ran around the grocery store. I remember that when it kicked in. And then it started raining, so we had to get in his car and get home really quick. And then we watched. We went inside. His mom and dad were asleep, so we watched that Beatles anthology on TV. It was, it was when they were playing Shea Stadium. 
And uh, I was like, wow, music sounds really incredible. I have to go home. All I wanted to do was go home and listen to a Walkman. So I, really? walked, I walked all the way home in the tape? rain. Yeah, tape. Oh, straight tape. up, the yellow one? And uh, I went home, like just left him hanging, bailed on him and walked home in the rain and just went home and like dried off and got in the bed with my Walkman and listened to uh, Sgt. Pepper and like some Led Zeppelin records pretty nice. much all Damn night right. long because you're not going to sleep on this stuff. And then the next day I had to sit at Thanksgiving dinner and pretend like I was just really tired. <laughs> well, so when was the first time you actually like played something and sang out loud? Do you remember that? Probably at a family reunion when I was about eight years old. Really? Yeah. Holy cow, what'd you sing? Elvira. You did. Nice. Yeah. Did, you, did they like it or were they just They like, did. And I had my little, cute. I have a younger cousin who's a year younger than me and he was up there with me and he was goofing off and I got really pissed off because he wasn't taking it seriously. I remember that too. Like, just, if you're not going to take it seriously, just go sit down. This is my fucking moment and you're, Dude. you know, <laughs> I love this. Did oh, you enjoy after it? all we've talked about in the last oh, yeah. twenty hours? Like I'm just, I'm just um, seeing an eight year old Sturgill saying "Giddy up a loom, bop a loom." Yeah, but that's him. him. That's him though. Like him, that baritone. Someone jacking there. off in the moment. Where, yeah. Like he was just scatting on the mic, little doop doop doop. And I was like, dude. And so, what'd you throw down? Just give me like one verse. I couldn't possibly remember. What are the words to Elvira? "Giddy up a boom bopper." My heart's on fire. <laughs> you know that song? But like as a eight year old kid, it had yeah. to been like super high pitched. For sure. Yeah. Or were you digging deep? Not a lot then? of testicular drop going on. Were you digging deep then though? No, you, probably not digging very deep. Did you try to? I don't remember. I remember singing Elvira at a family reunion. Did you do any like talent shows in high school or anything? Yeah, actually. Uh, they had a... Our high school would have... Like, I think it was the last couple of years I was there, I played it a couple of times. But, you know, there wasn't much what was interest. Your, what was your genre, though? Like, just me and some buddies had a little band. We'd get up there and, and play some songs. But, what, like, what was your jam? Man, back then, <laughs> I was probably heavy... I'm not a journalist. You, I was heavy into uh, like, oh damn. I mean everything really, <laughs> other than what was popular at the time. When was, was this? Mid '90s. Oh dang! See, so I wasn't into like the the new rap metal stuff at all. I no, that was like Nirvana. That was like Nirvana was more middle school. The I think beginning of grunge, right there. 7th, 8th grade Nirvana was really big. Um, I definitely got into that, um, but I think by high school I'd gotten really heavy into blues. Like old Mississippi, oh really? Like John Hurt and uh, Lead Belly, yeah, Alan Wolf, Alan Wolf for sure. Uh, Little Walter, just like really went down like this Delta and Chicago blues hole for two or three years in high school. Harry's really into Walter right now. Yeah, that's stuff's killing him. Robert Johnson, of course. Yeah, he's he's way down that rabbit hole right now. To the point where like I'll come in the kitchen and the. Home pod still like playing whatever he played the night before when mm-hmm. I went to bed early. Like he's going, and I'm thinking like, is this good that he's listening to this, or is it also? It's absolutely good. Maybe it's like getting it out. Like part of me thinks because some of it's like deep in the soul. You're like, wait a minute, yeah. we need it. Do I need Sounds to, like, like Harry's just got the boogie woogie in him. He does. Well, he does, dude. He does have the boogie woogie. He's 
he's jamming. Like what you played for us last night, I think he's going to be super down with that. I hope somebody is. Dude, mm-hmm. that's going to be so good. When's that coming out? Do you know? Ideally, right now, I would I would <laughs> like to say in the fall. Oh. But it takes time to, uh, we've still got to mix it all and master it and turn gotta it in. Got to get those crickets you, in What there. you really end up waiting on is the, the physical product the vinyl and everything takes about four months to manufacture and produce is it done overseas no there's a couple places hopefully they're still in business by the time we get to that but uh and now i don't understand why i mean you could just go ahead and release everything digitally and then pre-sale the vinyl for like the people that really want that physical thing and i would just want to get the music out um because right now we need it like everybody yeah, needs people that. Are bored. Well, not only that, the whole setup and release cycle around music with like singles coming a month or two before the right, that's all the music business. That's the industry supporting itself. Like people, fans just want the record, man. Yeah. You know, just like, here's the music, enjoy it, soak it up. Maybe by the time we're able to go play shows again, people will actually understand the words I'm singing. And then they come to the show and you're like, use more deeper connection, I think as opposed to a record are, came out last week we're playing your town tomorrow people right. are like okay you know yeah thanks I hadn't heard this week not really yeah. know what's going on people so. are going to be so desperate to like see a live show oh yeah that it's going to be I mean it's almost going to be like a new experience for people you know it's going to be like I don't it's going to be well, mental. You know what's... <laughs> you remember when MTV first came out? Yes. And you would wait hours to hear the song you wanted to hear, sure. like to see that video. Or radio at that time was like... Because it's almost like if you went to the record store and you couldn't buy a tape. And for me, like I was thinking... I remember when Guns N' Roses first came out, like Sweet Child of Mine came out. Appetite for I would just have radios on every station in my room on a different station because I wanted to hear that song so bad, but I couldn't afford to buy a tape, you know, because it's like not like I could. And honestly, my parents were like, ah, it's way too hard. Like, you know, you don't want to listen to that. And it's like, no, I want to cut up this shirt, sew it on the back of my jean jacket. And I want to go freaking bang some red hair and leather pants around is what I want to do. <laughs> you and I would have been best friends. <laughs> I was in, I was in I was fifth, weird fifth grade. in my neighborhood that was this same dude. dude like, straight I'm just going to watch MTV all day and wait for whatever to come on. Well, there was that era of MTV when you had to wait. And then there was the era of MTV where they would just play like Black Hole Sun eight times an hour. And it yeah. became the same five videos over and over and yeah. over. Oh, yeah. Like, just like a radio station. I made the mistake of train, trying to train a set to Black Hole Sun, and I forgot how long that song is. It just keeps going. And then they yeah. play the video again, but don't try to train to Black Hole Sun. Just side note. <laughs> don't try to do, like, a Versa Climber sprint. Yeah. Keep going. Appetite for Destruction, I was in fifth grade when that came out. And that, I mean, I, was, I remember being vividly aware. I watched MTV even even in elementary school, and before that record, it was there was all the hair bands and like hard rock, but it was like your Def Leppard and Poison, just you know yeah. that yeah. kind of thing. And then I remember like the first time I saw the video for Welcome to the Jungle, and it scared me, yeah, because it was so real and visceral. And you're like, oh, this is what 
well, they what banned, they were talking about when right. they said rock and roll. Okay, like dude, they banned that that album cover. I had two copies with the robot. Yeah, yeah. My mom Torsten gave me one in vinyl. I have a vinyl, dude. That's collectors. Yeah, I have the vinyl one. Thank you, Torsten. In case you're listening, love that guy. That's nuts, man. What was uh, your first piece of music you ever owned? Like, like that you bought the record or tape or whatever, maybe. You know what's weird is, um, like my first, my first tapes that I ever remember to where I like loved them and just played them on repeat. Like I love Jackson Five, and I also loved fifties music. Mm-hmm. Like those were my first tapes. Yeah. Is it like the Time Life series? I don't know. know, The Stand By Me soundtrack was awesome. That was really good. Yeah, that was good. But I I was like into that. And then it got to the point where all of a sudden, Motley Crue, like smoking in the boys' room, when that came out, like I was ready to freaking bang some hair. when that when that came out that's when it all changed and and that yeah that was it and i remember like when i hit that punk phase too because i was already hunting by then and i was like you know my family was deep south natchez mississippi my little cousin was several years younger than me so everything was like i went from like 50s music just kind of like jackson five stuff to like George Strait type stuff to where all of a sudden you know all of a sudden I heard I heard a couple like I heard Motley Crue and I heard Poison then I heard GNR and then from there then on like honestly from that point I went from a very like skater kid to just straight up like want to wreck some stuff <laughs> understood just yeah just and i remember going hunting where i'd have you know i had this long i was trying to grow my hair out and i remember going down to mississippi on thanksgiving i had my hair freaking grown out i had this leather jacket <laughs> and uh i really wanted some tight leather pants that like stitched up in the front but the only thing i could find was this these this gray leather like dockers at a tj maxx and my mom (laughs) let me get them because they were really cheap but i still like tried to pull it off because they were leather pants (laughs) 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 and i like tried i'm like i'm gonna freaking rock it hard and, leather uh, I, <laughs> they were i remember they, oh were, they had like man. pleats and they were like, like <laughs> pleated leather dockers someone needs to if you're listening you need oh, to recreate shit. these and get on ebay right now oh man them. we'll buy you every single pair and so that. i'm like trying to live this hard heavy headbang like i watch headbangers ball oh, yeah. like constant metallica Ricky, like Ricky. battery came out dude i love that Ricky Rockman, yeah, yeah, that was Ricky that. Rocket. Ricky Rocket was that the host of Headbangers Ball? What was his name Ricky? No, Ricky Rocket, I think, was like in Poison, wasn't he? That's right. Yeah, it was one of the yeah, it was the Ed. No, you're talking about uh, oh crap, what's his name? Who hosted Headbangers Ball, dude? So that guy who hosted Headbangers Ball, like him and the one that did like MTV News, 
the headbanger that did MTV News. You remember that guy? Uh, Adam's Adam, uh, blonde haired dude. Long, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Sure. Adam Sorbin. That was my neighbor Sam. that gave me the peppermint schnapps. Like, no, that's who he wanted to be. Oh, right I thought there. that was actually the guy. I was like, no, that, like, that's part. who he wanted my to be. My neighbor who told me about Guns N' Roses was a guy named Michael Puckett. And he was like, you ever, uh, he was basically Wooderson from Fat, from uh, <laughs> Dazing and Fuse. Well, thought he was, but like he had a cobalt blue Chevy Nova, and he ran away from home like two times with his girlfriend. But this is when I knew this guy wasn't cool anymore. Because when I was a kid, I thought he was so cool. He was like had this long blonde hair, and he was just like really rebellious and listened to rock and roll. And he talked to me like like dog shit. He treated me like sure. a- absolute like the little annoying kid next door. And he, I was outside. I don't know what I was doing. Probably dribbling basketball or something. And he pulled up in his Nova, just blasting appetite. And I was like, "What is that?" Dude. And he was like, "Where you been, kid? In a cave?" He's like, "It's Guns and Roses, man." You know. <laughs> and then uh, I remember thinking, like, "Dude, that's so cool!" And like, I got the album a couple times. My, my mom kept finding it with that painting on the inside cover and throwing and she, it away. Yeah. So I'd have to hide it. And uh, and then he ran away from school with his girlfriend. And he's gone for like two weeks and he comes home he finally comes home you know like the cops have been looking at everything and they drove <laughs> home and I was, I was out for like where were you man he's like man we went to Kokomo I was like damn was Beach like, Boys I was like, like that Beach Boys song he's like yeah I was like that's the lamest shit I've ever heard <laughs> not, hey not true you asked me like my first album that's where the, you thought to go I mean the first concert I ever went to was Beach Boys that's what I was about to ask and that's your first concert yeah, first well no there's nothing wrong with the Beach Boys yeah. but like running away from home with your girlfriend in high school and saying babe let's go to Kokomo <laughs> like not very original you know you gotta get there fast. You but gotta you get take there it fast. Slow. That that is that is how you. That's do it. where you want to go. What was your uh, What was your first piece of music that you owned, Sturgill? First piece of music I yeah, owned, like your first album or uh, probably forty five. If you're like me, oh, well, I got a. I had a lot of vinyl as a kid. I remember probably Thriller. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. probably, dang. probably Thriller. Early honestly, years. yeah, that may be up there too. Or like, the I ET forgot soundtrack. That. I had mm. that on vinyl. Yeah. Did you watch, dude? I remember watching ET in the movie theater. Sure. Me too. In Cleveland, Mississippi, I watched it seven times and cried. Of course, all seven. Probably cry now if I watched it. Yeah, Let's I just watch watched it, it for the first time what? with my sons. Were they the, down with it this week? They loved it. See, totally loved. Yeah, it. I might might watch it with the kids. I haven't seen it since I was a little kid, and of course, I cried. Was it eighty three? If that. I was thinking I was probably four or five years old. I remember in the theater oh, watching yeah. it and telling my mom not to cry like he's going to be okay. How old are you? I'm 42 now. Dude, I'm 44. Yeah, I was going to say that was right before I left Mississippi was when E.T. came out. I remember E.T. and I remember Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Because that's when I became Ewoks. sexually aware. <laughs> Carrie Fisher in that gold bikini. I was just like... Yeah, I've heard there's a story recently about that. Why do I like this so much? Um, Wait. Yeah, What? Oh, Carrie Fisher. I did tell you about that, yeah. My, but one of my best friends sent me this life-size cardboard stand-up cutout of her in that outfit for my birthday. From the Jabba from Return of the from, Jedi? From Return of the Jedi. And I opened it in the kitchen, and my wife was like, oh, you have a leg lamp now. <laughs> She's like, figure out where you're putting that because it's not going in the house. So... So I found a place for it. <laughs> so I can't put it on the couch. Yeah, 
I, I became I figured out I became sexually aware maybe a bit earlier with strangely enough my first piece of music which was the 45 of Crystal Gale's Don't You Make My Brown Eyes Blue oh gosh and I was like I remember telling my mom that is the prettiest girl in the world and she was I mean Crystal Gale I mean come on dude but Crystal Gale's the same, Joy, this, Joyce DeWitt from Three's Company oh yeah I had a big thing for Janet oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Janet did it for me more of a, more Chrissy of a, could just yeah Chrissy not so could much go on down to the Regal Beaver or you know yeah. just hang out but Janet yeah my, my first two pieces of music were uh, Don't You Make My Brown Eyes Blue by Crystal Gale and uh, Rick James Super Freak on 45 so. We were talking about the national anthem today, and you told me the the best you've ever heard it sing was Martin Gay. Right? Marvin Gaye, I think, was probably my favorite version, which was sometime in the eighties, probably to a Super Bowl or something. Because like he could, he could end up making you want to get it on during the. Right? He could make you want to do it to the like national anthem. You're gonna, right? Yeah, <laughs> if anybody could. It yeah, was if there's big. anybody that could, like you'd be like, you know, you just. National Anthem would start, take that hat off, and then like halfway through, you just be, I'd be looking over at Sharon, just like, it's happening right now. It's happening. Whitney sang the shit out of it, too. Oh, dude. She could sing the shit out of anything. There was Roseanne some, Barr. There was some awesome, like, that was cool back in the day when you, I remember watching um, Nirvana Unplugged, like, live watching that. Yeah, 94-ish. You know, and it was off the charts for its time right yeah. and then I remember watching Whitney Houston on like a Divas VH1 Divas mm-hmm. live she was insane for that too it's so good when you hear someone live that's just that good I've never heard you live so I don't know maybe you're terrible Hurt. you've heard them 47 times just, by the sounds of it I've had a couple bad experiences yeah, but so we won't go into, but we're not, the last yeah. couple of times are great. Besides, you know, do you ever getting coronavirus? Right? How after. often do you listen to yourself after an event? Like, where you not necessarily like I'm going to hear how I sounded like that, but you just see something where it's like, like replaying a show or. Well, technically, we every tour we say this is the one because like we have board recordings of the, our my front of house guy records all the shows, and we always say as a band. It would be great for us to sit down on the bus on the way to the next town and listen to the show, like critique and look for Have homework. You ever we, done we've it? never done it. It never. Just never happens. Has there um, ever been just a breakthrough show where for you you felt like this is the best show we ever did as a band? Is there one that you guys are concise about where you're like, that was the best we all felt at one like given There's definitely time? gigs for me looking back that stand out but never like one pinnacle night because we're always so hypercritical I mean after the show the first thing we're doing is talk about what we did wrong or apologizing for something like one of us as an individual could have done better so you're never really it's awesome that your band's that way though yeah I mean they're all really because it's like everyone's taking ownership in a way but no there's definitely gigs I can tell you were amazing and um, that I'll always remember. A lot of it blends together, just like events, probably you know, or competitions. You do so many. I can remember green rooms more than the actual venue. What's a green room? Like the room you hang out in all day and all night yeah. at before and after the show. 
You're on stage like an hour and a half, two hours, but you're in that room for probably eight hours of that day. So. I remember more of like more time, like when with Joe, he's definitely one of the, probably one of the only times where I can say this. But I remember hangouts in like, I guess that would be considered a green room, yeah. right? Like I remember that time more than the show right. by far. Yep. You know, I remember things that we did pre-show at certain events and then I'll remember like I don't know it's almost like I know he's the one that's doing the performance but in a way I'm there to enjoy his performance but I'm also like I'm there because I'm there with a friend so I don't see it that way so for me the what we're doing before that or after that like is more visual to me than For the sure. actual show. Well, like the night I met you mm-hmm. in Charleston, mm-hmm. you know, backstage and Danny and Tony, and there's like all these people everywhere. That, like he just said, that's the stuff I remember because we're on the day of the show. I can't really go anywhere within yeah. a four or five block radius, so we're stuck in that space, hanging out. So anybody I see or that comes to see us and hang out and say hi is going to be there, like. But we're, when I was on stage, I couldn't tell you what that venue in Charleston looks like because, mm-hmm. one, I got all the lights in my face. Yeah. And we're just up there kind of like trying to hold it together and do a good job. But we're back there in that hallway in those rooms yeah. for nine, ten hours. So yeah, yeah. I can picture that like it was yesterday. Do you think you'll take archery with you on the road? Oh, for sure. Now, this is something I could do backstage if I had a target. Yeah, well, you will. It I'll would make people one. really nervous, probably. But no, no, no you've never than, done that. In your no career. more than I probably already. I mean, when it gets to the point where you're like putting it at the back of the bus, like that, that would happen. <laughs> that would probably happen. <laughs> that's you know? when it's gonna get sketched. Yeah. Like when some people are in their cots and you're up early, just like let me get my rounds in, just like give me a heads up. Yeah, and they're like trying out. to go piss. I'm like, nope, I got 15 more shots. 15. Just stay in your rack. Freaking pinch that off. Um, no, there's plenty of room. Um, that would be fun. Some of those arena hallways. Mm-hmm. Probably not safe. Yeah. Is there any way to safely practice? Yeah. So oh, some, yeah. Some tips? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can get you like a drop curtain to where you could like drop that thing down to where it's just like kind of like almost like an arrow stop which is just a curtain that just stops it you have the target in front of it like that thing at Joe's warehouse yeah like his dark screen. system kind of that thing's amazing oh yeah yeah it'll give you anticipation real fast because it's like it'd be one thing if it was fixed and you right. could take however long you need to make to make a good shot no they're moving like walking around that's the problem yeah like I think there comes a point where you train you train with archery to the point where you can you can make that shot because you've trained enough to where you can go through the process faster but for that to be your training is a bad idea yeah i found that actually. like joe said well i can just pause it and i'm like okay well if you do that i'm cool with it so how do you go from shooting at a block or a target to the first time you go on a hunt and all of a sudden you just hiked a mile up this hill you got to commit out of breath and this thing's moving you got to put it on the kill zone trust the float and just freaking like don't try to aim just try to pull through trust the float let it happen like the subconscious will control getting it back to the middle and just going through it I mean it'll do it without you asking it to but when you train that way 
you're going to get to the point where you you're not making good shots you would rather get to the point where you train making good shots all the time and then because of the situation you're forced to make a good shot fast rather than making fast shots and trying to figure out a way to make them good like you don't want to do that you want to make good shots all the time and then when you have to you're going to make a good shot fast but you don't want to make fast shots all the time and try to find a good one out of it like you don't want to do that also found when trying to be hypersensitive to accuracy that screwed me up a couple years ago getting ready for an elk hunt and i got i'm sorry a mule deer hunt i got about 20 days notice and i'd hung up my bow and everything for the year and and kip was like hey man you want to go to bco go on a mule deer hunt january 1st or 2nd or whatever it's like oh crap okay great pull my bow back out got it all dialed and it was getting dark at like five o'clock so i didn't have a chance i'm super busy so i had to shoot inside all the time and so the furthest i could shoot was like 12 yards and so i made these little teeny tiny holes for the idea you know dime size to to aim at aim or aim smaller miss smaller type that was the idea but i got the yips and in 20 years of shooting archery i'd never gotten the yips and i got them within 20 days and it was just trying to be super hyper super focused on accuracy and then i found out when i would back up to a pretty good sized target at 50 i would drain them these small groups because i would just like you said i trust the float and i wasn't super hyper sensitive to is it perfectly on there perfectly not whereas at 10 and 12 yards i was i was so worried about being perfect it's weird because there's like this there's there's this common saying of aim small miss small there's also a very fine line of when you train that way you start to aim small, anticipate big. That's exactly what was happening. And I'm I'm one of these people where it's like I've found for someone, for example, like Sturgill. I, I called drink ordering. You're welcome. Hey, Scott, um, you're a beast. I find someone like Sturgill who's doing it. I mean, obviously a veteran. I mean, he's at least shot 40 arrows. At least. If he aims big, he misses small. When you aim small, you miss big. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, the reality is when I just said, no, just shoot at that block, and I turn it to where it was the big one, and I'm like, anywhere on that block, like, I'm cool. Just let it do its thing, dude. I'm not looking at that. I just want shot activation. When he's worried about that, like, his groups happen. Yes. Because he's only focusing on technique. He's not focusing on, like, a static hold. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, so I think it's a, a misconception. misconception. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. And, and I never, I'd always heard the aim small, miss small, and that, that screwed me up more than anything. I don't, I wonder how many more people that happens to inadvertently, they get the yips from it. When you're a veteran and when you're, like, when you're to a point where, you have zero anxiety and you're a hundred percent comfortable with what you're doing. I totally agree with that. You know, like today when we were shooting, we went out and we shot long, long rifles. And so we got to the point where I was like aiming at the smaller ones. Mm-hmm. I was a hundred percent confident with that because yeah, I was at the point where I was aim small, miss small, but so much of my comfort with a, with a big stick is because when I see the float that I see on a bow and I trust it, when I look through a rifle scope right. prone, 
holy crap yeah like dudes to me i can be on this trigger all day and i'm 100 percent cool because this is the steadiest i've seen yeah. forever right mm-hmm. but i think people you had a few times today where you let off that safety because you were you know because you you kind of admitted to me you were holding like six o'clock mm-hmm. and for you just all your training with with iron sights and guns you were always putting the silhouette at the top of the post top Correct. of the post top of the post which is a hundred percent like that's a retraining of the mind so i'm a hundred percent cool with that like if you shoot at six o'clock we can deal with that we'll work through it your brain's still computing especially one day in but there comes a point where i had to tell you hey put your pin right here and just let it happen and when you let off the safety that time it was obvious you knew you were in the middle and you kind of let off the safety of i wanted to go right now right and then when it didn't no it's like you did good because you said it didn't and i could see in your mind you were like shit okay well i guess i gotta pull now (laughs) (laughs) am i right yes i mean that like I if was your eyes could to fly. If, if your eyes could talk, that's what they were saying. Yeah. That's what they were saying. So what's um so far you've shot forty arrows. What are like some of the things you've learned already or recognize? Well, one, uh break break your elbow, your front arm, keep that forty five. You want your elbow keep, pointing keep your at your arm out of the way of the string. Very important. Yeah. Uh, if your elbow is pointed at six, then your forearm's in the path of the string. And and I've learned more, like with anything else, just the hardest part and also the most key component is just to relax. So it's like finding, getting to the point where you're, the muscle memory and the, the flow and the fundamentals and the dynamics are there without thinking about it because you're relaxed and everything just goes into position where it wants to be naturally without having to think step one through 12 mm-hmm. which you know plus you're holding this very real and dangerous weapon you know yeah. so that's always in the back of your head there's a certain reverence I think that has to be there if you get sloppy or careless it's probably not for I'm, you I'm working on this uh, book right now I gotta look at the name because I don't remember stuff but it's called get a little drunk it's called Stealing Fire. Have you is read it? it? Um, it's about flow state. Yes. Is it kind of like uh, the Rise of Superman? I think it might be point, part two to Rise of Superman. I don't know. But it's like it's Great. kind of about people who find a flow state, mm-hmm. you know, and who are able to stay in it. Because I have this fascination of... I don't know. I have this fascination of there's times where I get into this flow state of where I'm shooting kind of almost from a third party. I can see it happening, but I don't really know what's happening, but I just know I get there. And it's and kind of part of this book is the fact that when people get to those moments where they have that happen, they want to know how to relive it. And that's the hard part sure. is like knowing how to set that off. And I noticed a few weeks ago, my dad came to my house and he came for my birthday and him and 
my boy were playing and playing guitar and my boy asked him do you know any john denver stuff so he's like yeah and so my dad only plays by ear he's self-taught mm-hmm. plays by ear so he just like picked up a guitar and he goes here i'll play this one for you and he just played it perfectly and then i said hold on i want to want to film this for my story so then once i started filming it and he's trying to tell harry here's how you do it he couldn't do it and he kind of fumbled around fumbled around he's like shit and then so finally goes i don't know i can't like if i'm trying to tell you how to do it i can't do it but if i just Mm-hmm. If I just do it without thinking about it, it comes out. Yeah, and then you could almost just say, "All right, you see what I just did? Try to do it kind and of." And that's like that. honestly, and that's what happened. So then, when Harry picked it up, when Harry was trying to hit every note, when he's like, "Hey, that one's here," but then you got to open it up. When Harry's thinking like this, 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 open it up, then go back to this three times, he couldn't do it. But then once he just said like, "I'm just gonna do it fast." then it came out Mm -hmm. which was kind of like what happens with archery it's like and that's honestly what happened to you this morning when you woke up i mean and i know this from experience i said so did you think about archery last night (laughs) what'd you say first thing when i woke up and before i fell asleep yeah he's like dude it was the last thing i thought about when i fell asleep and when i woke up it was the first thing i was thinking about so when, then when he went out this morning, because to me, if he tells me that, I'm already, as a coach, I'm already knowing when he starts this morning, he's going to be doing what he thinks he needs to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm just going to let him do that for a little bit. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to let him rip his arm off. like, And then I'm going to say, okay, you thought about it all, but let's bring it back to – let's just only think about this and this and this and then all of a sudden it all came then it started flowing again because you have to simplify you know it's like that aim small miss small I feel like the more you try to aim small the more you feel like you have to have things happen when it's in the right place and the reality is you have to let it happen when it happens that was something I definitely noticed more today because you were saying yesterday about subconsciously you're, you're you know when you're, your front hand you're trying to steady and you're doing the little figure eight thing trying to get on target and then by the time the surprise release comes and you're like oh well that was a bad sh- oh wait it's right next to the other arrows <laughs> you know somehow it went exactly where you wanted it to even though yeah in my mind I'm thinking when it, when it happens it's like oh that was a bad shot yeah and then there it is but that's comforting in a way to where you know if I trust this process like my subconscious will bail me out if I trust it enough it's a delicate spot to be in for you we worked on your release hand position you're inverting your release hand because it probably goes back to what I thought I was supposed to be doing and I'd been thinking watching videos or whatever and but without anyone coaching this is what I thought my body was supposed to look like and feel and it was totally what's crazy is like think about what you were doing and what I had you do Mm -hmm. you're talking two inches of variation between a vertical hand position with your handheld release 
versus a 40 degree angle you're talking two you know two inches difference but it'll make a massive difference on uh, on a target you know which Mm -hmm. is pretty crazy oh yeah yeah i remember back like when i would when i threw highland games and and hammer and everything like that i would i would go to bed thinking i'd have practical practices in my head right before i went to bed and i would just drill in i would i'd see from top view i would see from back view and i see from first person view through an entire throws practice and i would go through reps and actually stop the video and back make work it backwards and like see foot position and like go okay if my foot position i'm tapping my right foot down right now i'm going to feel pressure in my lower left lumbar right now and i'd go through those full positions and like i felt that was like a something that accelerated my hammer practice because i was able to take full practices psychologically before i actually got in the ring but the key is to doing them right and so that's the thing when you get kind of obsessed with a new thing and you think and think and think of think about it all of a sudden you're doing these reps wrong even if they're in your brain and so the things that i thought that i was doing right hand position and some little stuff like that i've just drilled in wrong a big part of the problem is personality type because there's personality type that have no interest to microanalyze. Mm. But then there's personality types, and I'm just going to throw this out there, like Peter Tia, mm-hmm. Like, you know, he's a freaking doctor, superstar, right? Like all the shit he does is under a microscope. So he microscopes everything. And at some point you have to say like, hey, man, you're going to be better off if you look at this as like an object, not as a molecule. Right. Because you're trying to look at this as a molecule, but yet you don't know enough to understand it as a molecule. Right. <clears throat> so look at this as an object. Like, don't look at this as, holy crap, look at all this bacteria. No, you're not like, you're not a doctor in yeah. archery. Look at it as that's yogurt that's mm-hmm. been on the table for an hour right just eat it yeah let other people look at it as wow there's bacteria in there you yeah. know that's that's the hard part one question i wanted to ask you have you ever had a point in time where you just felt like you're kind of burned out with playing music and you just didn't want to do it absolutely many times but then when you do it do you feel guilty because you know that it's something that you can't explain why you're good at it? So you kind of feel guilty, like I should be doing this. Mm, I never felt that until it became my profession. Yeah, but once it is, do you feel that at times where you're like, I want to just walk away from this, and then someone will be like, Well, I mean, I, no, I don't feel guilty about it because I know, I know I'll come back to it at some point. But I don't want to. I know I'm also not just that thing. I know I put it down many times in my life for three, four years at a time without really touching the guitar and did other things. Um, whereas now, like maybe there's something to be said for stepping away and waiting three or four years to make a record as opposed to just thinking, okay, well, the tour's over. I got to put another record out so I can go on tour again because that's what keeps all the other people paid. Yeah. You know, that's the mechanic industry mindset well and it's um, ac- I mean it's accurate yeah but too, I, right? I feel like no I, mean, I feel like you gotta go live life and, and do and learn and grow and experience other things if, if nothing else like I wanna learn how to shoot arrows in a straight line to block out thinking well, about anything else <laughs> you know what I mean he is so that's a uh, 
No, it doesn't make me feel guilty. He, I mean, he is. He's nasty. Bert, Bert, I mean, Bert felt obligated to say, like, hey, just so you know, you don't have, like, years of bad habits, so you're going to better <laughs> me, like, real quick. <laughs> Sturge was shaking his head. It's so true, though. Yeah, for those was, out there listening, Sturge. Clean it's, slates it's are the best. Hobby oh, yeah. Clean slates are the Isn't your great. job. Huh? It's right. good to have a hobby that you really love. It's even like a passion beyond a hobby that is not your job. Right. I yeah. think is what I've learned. Sure. Like when, they you always turn, say, when you really turn what you love into your job, it's going to go one of two ways. I agree with that. You know. Yeah. I think, and honestly, I feel like if I didn't like to educate people, like deep down, if I didn't wholeheartedly like to see people enjoy archery, I probably would have taken a different path. You're obviously a great teacher because I don't know what I'm doing, and all I did was just shut up and listen to exactly what you told which me is to a, do. Which is in the air what a good a student line, does. So. I mean, that's the hardest part for a lot of people, and that's what makes women such awesome students. Mm-hmm. They listen. Like better. women are so good at like clean a clean slate. They just a hundred percent listen. Because I think part of them, especially when it comes to like something with like power like that, part of them's like, this is a weapon. It also has like the potential to hurt something. So if I don't do it right, it could have like bad yeah. repercussions. So they just hone in. And then next thing you know, you think, okay, well. Yeah, this women is someone that's really done good. this for six hours, and I can put them up against a lot of dudes that have hunted for 16 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I know precision rifle women usually do really, really well, too. Yeah, they're all freaking awesome. It's, I mean, it's pretty cool super awesome. There's no bravado. As our kids. Yeah. Like, people ask, honestly, if you want your kid to be good at something, you have to... Make it fun. One, yeah, a hundred percent. You have to make it fun. Like keep the bit, targets big, keep them close, keep them good at it because they're going to do it longer. But have someone teach them a hundred percent the right way out of the gate. Yeah. I was asking you that because there's just been there's been like many times in my few decades is like shooting archery to where I legitimately get burned out with it. And I want to just step, like, I want to just step away. And sometimes I do. Like, sometimes I'll go months and months and months without shooting. But then I'll just pick up someone else's bow. And then when I see what I can do with it, even though I know I'm not, you know, and I'm not like, I'm not saying I'm God's gift to archery. But I just know that people that hire me to help them, they put in a shitload of work to get to a point where they feel like, okay, this I'm sh- I'm seeing a reward for this, and then I cannot do anything for six months and take their setup, which isn't even fitted to me, and then like perform at a level to where it's not like pro, but it's certainly at a level to where a lot of people would say, holy crap, that's freaking good do you think that's just a zillion reps mixed with passion for 30 years though i don't know i think it's just like i think there's things that certain people 
for whatever, like God or the universe or whatever it is, there's certain things that you were supposed to do for Mm -hmm. everything that's happening around you. And as many times as I want to think that selfishly, I would like to kind of back away and do something that I want to do that's not relevant to this. I also keep getting reminded, no, this is what you do. Mm-hmm. Your, your and, gift and is so that, at times, yeah, at, time, at times, like there's certainly times where it's like, I don't know. Like in my field, it never ends. Right. Like mm-hmm. questions Thank never you. end. Questions about everything never end. The demand for me to give content never ends. It never does. Can you write an article? Can you do a video for this? Hey, you know, we're talking about doing that. Can we do a series for this? Like it never ends. And at some point, like you do get, you do get burned out to where you're like, I kind of want to do this when I want to do it. Mm -hmm. Not when everyone's saying you have to do it. And so there's certainly points in times where you just feel like, I don't want to do this right now. But then all of a sudden you do it and you realize, okay, well, honestly, this isn't my choice. This is obviously what I'm supposed to do because I really didn't put in effort for that particular thing. But yet the result is what motivates people. Mm -hmm. And when you see people motivated, then you're like, wait a minute, I I need to do this for people. Yeah. Do you feel like that way lifting? Like for when it comes to like weight room stuff? Yeah, no. Because you're categorized too, and so are you, Yeah. right? Like you're totally, Mm -hmm. you're backed into this music industry. Don't you ever come out? Well, I mean, (laughs) you don't really have any control over anything other than what you can control, which is not much. Right. I don't, I don't. I just yeah yeah they put you in boxes and lanes that you have no say so or whatsoever in the conversation so I don't know why that is if there was one thing you could 100% have control on and take direction on what would it be my time with my family that would be it I mean I'm not saying that's bad I'm just saying um, like in your whole life, I—I I, I mean, honestly, the biggest realization for me in the last six years is coming to grips with the fact that there's not much I'm in control of, hmm. ah. and just you know, doing what you do. Does that wig you out? Hmm? Does that not, wake- not at all. It actually is kind of freeing. It's liberating in a way because once you realize you don't have to stay in a lane to appease anyone or make anyone happy or meet anyone's expectations then people then become more accepting of what you do offer in a way and it also keeps you more um, agile speaking I guess creatively speaking because I mean I want to do all kinds of stuff but I know what I'm really good at I know I can probably do anything musically to a decent level and I have interest and in, in passion for it, but I know, like... Does it help you be better when you... Because you really, like, in today's environment and yesterday's environment, you really separate yourself from, like, that music element. 
it's not like because I've been with people that are music oriented and then we'll do something like this but then they'll also you can tell in the back of their mind they're like working on a tune or mm-hmm. something that we did might like give them a lyric or something but like to me it seems like that switch is off you don't have a guitar here you don't have I mean other than honey buns and you know hematobas I mean since we came off the road I, I recorded two albums of bluegrass in a week because I knew I'd always wanted to mm-hmm. but also knew I'm, I'm looking at most likely the next six months completely off work with no at least the next rest of this year there's no work in my industry Mm -hmm. and what i did not want to do is go on a six-month fishing trip vacation with my family and be thinking about what am i going to do next so i went ahead and banged out the thing i knew i wanted to do for five years when i had the opportunity and all the other musicians weren't working either and just get that thing done and out of the way and now it's done so now i can just go fishing and shoot fish with a bow and arrow for the next six months and really enjoy my life you know so you work front loaded yeah otherwise i'd be with my wife thinking about a bunch of shit that hasn't happened yet yeah and that's just where that's where anxiety comes from of course you always feeling what about you bert is there something is there anything you've done where you think like man i wish yeah, it's always this weird. Like with Sornex, do you wish like ah, I wish I would have like been more into hammer throwing or something? I gave I hammer throwing as much as I could have given it under the circumstances. That's I mean, a good position. You know, I I knew in order to make an Olympic team, I was going to have to not run Sornex fifty hours a week and get a coach and move somewhere, and that wasn't a thing. So you just kind of have to go. Okay, I did some Olympic trials, and now I got to go do some stuff and don't be selfish chasing down a athletic dream but um no nah, man it's i love the human performance field and the strength field but i've been around it every second of my life since i was yeah. a kid i mean my first double body weight deadlift i was seven or eight <laughs> gosh dang you know i mean it's not like this is the first time i've wrapped my hand around a bar you know and it's not that i don't love it but and in fact i do love it but i also love what it's the ticket that it's allowed me to now i'm starting to exercise that portion of my life and go wow the love for strength has allowed me to meet someone with a love yeah i was gonna say like us doing yeah doing, doing my gym was a hundred percent for me that was freedom like that was a yep that was a freedom like content piece sure. that was a freedom piece yeah like i did it with someone i a hundred percent love and i documented some of it because i knew the people that follow us both would yeah. like to enjoy that which is kind of what we did here sure but it's a hundred percent what I want to do now. It's not like I. It's not like someone's. It's not like there's a manager putting it on my schedule. Right, like, like you, have, you to, have to play the Sturgill. You're doing what you want to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's you got the Sturgill build tomorrow and freaking nail it. Right. Or. And that's not, what I'm. You're not starting going on the to Sturgill find show is. next year. <laughs> 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 he liked that. I'm going to incorporate archery into the stage show. Like, Dude. Ted Nugent did a while back, though. Yeah, so. he did. Wait, he, wait, like he shot, arrows at yeah. fans? And Zach Flame, did, I thought. 
Did he? I know Ted I used so. to shoot flaming arrows on the I stage. I was totally kidding. That would I would be love really to dangerous. get. Honestly, I'd love to get to the point where, like, if I could step back from what I have to do for knock on, like, I would a hundred percent love to get to the point where, like, I was doing stuff like where we went places and like, you know, say you had a show in Des Moines and you had a couple special friends that went there mm-hmm. where these people got to learn archery and I cook something awesome for yeah. them. And then when it comes showtime, like, all right, well, it's showtime. We're moving on. But it would be fun to, it would be fun to, to do something where it wasn't a hundred percent like, I yeah. don't know. It was, it was the same, but different. That's how I feel way. about touring. I love it, but you hate it because you don't get to see anything. You travel oh, the world dude. or the country all Never the time. Never seen the world, but I've been everywhere. But, you know, we got there's like a big show. Say you're trying to play a big show in Chicago on Friday, but you have this this machine that costs a lot of money every day. It's out there, and like twenty, thirty, forty people, you're in hotels and feeding. So those shows Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday to get to the show on Friday are really just paying for all the stuff you're out there using to go play that show. Yeah. So now the time that you get to the one you're really excited about, you're exhausted yeah. from Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And you and we go, you know, we're in Bozeman, Montana. I don't get to see anything. Yeah. You Sounds know? awesome. Except, yeah, yeah. Except you're stuck at the venue all the time. There's no room to go mm-hmm. hiking or get out and like experience the country or that's how i we were in europe for three weeks back in uh january february getting that rona it was like 12 shows in 10 days (laughs) and each show was in a different country so you're playing the show two hours later the bus is rolling down the road and you're like i wanted to get really stoned in amsterdam but that's (laughs) not gonna happen it's not happening you're in freaking luxembourg right like before you even it hits your first rem dude right like seriously because mm-hmm. when i used to do all those tours in europe and i purposely didn't let a lot of the archery community know how much i was out there because i wanted to be more places than anyone that was trying to do what i was doing so when i would that's exhausting well i'd you know i'd have i'd call magazine editors and i'd be like hey i want to do a seven-day tour in, in the UK, and I want to do a seven-day tour in Europe, and I'd have the editors drive me for all, from all these locations. So, like, night one, I might be in Luxembourg. Night two, I might be in Austria. Night three, I might be in Slovenia. Night four, I might be in Italy. And so I would go and show up and then do lessons from five to ten at night. And then when I was done, I'd get I'd get in this car and Andre, who I showed you the picture of me on, I was on his back with that uh, Mongolian bow I got as a gift. I'd get done at 10 o'clock and I'd get in the car and he would just drive me to that next location. And when I woke up, I'd be like, where are we? You know, we're in Slovenia. We're in Croatia. And then I'd be at a really cool archery shop and then just, you know, whoever the biggest archery over there in, in Europe. Really big. Is it? Yeah, bigger than here. Because of, it's like of country this, clubs. So like the history or what? the archery clubs are like country clubs. It's a good way to like people have to be members. You know, people can't just shoot in their backyard, so they have to be members of clubs. So it makes me I, dislike it already. Huh? Oh yeah, and like in an archery club, house. they would have like a bar. They'd have like a bar. You'd have your own lockers. Like you're part of this thing, and you have a place to shoot. 
Mm. So people would show up on certain nights to shoot, and it was like a social gathering. Mm. It's very, very different than here. You know, it was like it. I, I just. It's easiest for me to relate it to like going to an archery or a golf club. Yeah. You know, if you go to a country club, you go in there and there's like members. That's what it was like. It's very different. Like, I think in in England, I think there's like thirty to thirty-five thousand archers. France, there's fifty thousand. Germany, wow. you know, somewhere in the twenty-five to thirty thousand. I mean, let's be honest; those countries actually fought with arrows a lot more than the, the Americans ever did. Well, dude, this, yeah, that's like, and I'm doing the like the peace sign. This is like, this is what the is this what the French would do to the England people because they would cut their fingers off. They'd cut their fingers off that they could pull a bow back with. So when they would do that like two fingers up which is kind of like us saying f you two fingers up like this kind of means like haha we have our index finger and our middle finger because they would lop them off so that they couldn't draw a bow back they were shooting each other's bow and arrows for centuries before Dude, I would have made it rain. Came along. Like, <laughs> I can guarantee you right now. Ransom shop. Oh yeah, I saw someone make it when I did that 500 yard shot. I, you know, which legitimately was the second arrow I shot when I hit that. When you showed me where that was at your house, that was incredible. It was he shot into a field that he couldn't see not only the target but the field. It's 500 yards. 45 degree cast. I guess I'm a little disappointed. I, I don't know why. I just totally expected one of you guys to have like a a giant crossbow on a trailer or something. <laughs> on a trailer. I'm sorry. We, we can make down, one. Sturgill. I mean, <laughs> like a dragon burn. slayer? Kind of yeah, like, like a, a dragon, dragon slayer. Like a like dragon a, crossbow. A mm-hmm. Dude, we let's do that on stage. Sh- we have a giant machine shop. We could do these things. Yeah. You want to do a dragon bow for the Sturgill World so Tour gnarly. 2021? Shoot a COVID virus bug on the end of the stage? Just like sharpen a telephone pole? Shoot that thing there. through the bass drum? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> sharpen no. a telephone well, I mean, pole. Take it out on the range? and just like, Yeah. <laughs> see what the dope is on that thing. It wouldn't be great. No. It would take... Have you ever seen that uh, Junkyard Wars? Did you see some of the catapult ones mm-hmm. they did? We wanted to build a trebuchet at Sorenex one day. You guys would be awesome at Junkyard Wars. Yeah, we have some pretty <laughs> pretty ingenious stuff. That would be super stuff. legit. Yeah. All right. So to wrap this podcast up, Bert. Let's talk a little bit real quick about oh, the uh, Special t- Forces Foundation, Bo. Oh, dude. Should we? You, we should. Okay. Yeah. So I've been saving the very first Evo NTN. So it's the serial number is knock on zero zero one. It's a green riser. If you want it repainted, we'll repaint it, honestly. But right now it's a green riser and you can build it any way you want. But we're gonna figure out a way through some type of a service to where you can buy a raffle ticket to this bow for a for a small price. I think we found a service where you can pay like five bucks to the foundation and you get your name in. Do you have we, a, we did some eBay auctions for some custom items that uh Well the problem with that the only problem with that is and granted I have some friends that'll pay big dollar for a custom build. Mm-hmm. 
or I, I should I shouldn't say like I definitely know people that they know that when a custom build comes up they're gonna pay big but I want like anybody to have a chance anybody to have a chance yeah so I had I had our whole marketing team at work figure I'm like I want to know a way to where people can just make one contribution and I think there's like a service a that, true raffle yeah, yeah, a true raffle to where, and I think the minimum was like five bucks, mm-hmm. which we're gonna do. Like, we're gonna find this, we'll post it. Sergio, will you post it? Absolutely. So for knock on zero zero one, like if you decide, hey, I want Sergio's color, which you gonna be pissed at that? I mean, it's pretty dope. Yeah, it's super dope. <laughs> Mercury. Mad at somebody for wanting to copy a player. You know? Yeah, you don't want to copy that player, but if you want to, you can. <laughs> Um, and I think it was like five bucks a, a ticket. But what we're going to do is 100% all proceeds go to Special Forces Foundation. Do you know like everything about the foundation? I've been wanting to do it forever because Black Rifle, Black Rifle has really been wanting to do a, 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 a fundraiser with us and, and with several other sponsors, which we're going to do at the TAC. But... I want this to be freaking awesome. I What's mean, the prize pack? Like we're I don't on the know spot. Everything about it. I know what they. I know specifically what they do, and that it benefits. Get closer to the mic. It we? benefits people that really could use the benefits. A hundred percent. Hundred percent. Not just guys like some of our buddies who are, have been injured severely, but also are primary. doing good for like or, they're hustling it to make yeah, the most always, of it they always will for me the, the real benefit um, the families and the wives and children of the guys that did not come back eight, that eight, are now eight. left financially you know or just emotionally on their own um, they that's that like I don't know. Those are the things for me that I get. Because you got you went and saw Justin, right? I did. So if any of you out there listen to this podcast, you should do yourself a favor. Go back and listen to Sturgill's last podcast with Joe Rogan. He had his whole band on. And Justin. And Justin came on and talked about like his whole situation, mm-hmm. which like does he eat humble pie every day for breakfast? I I've honestly. You can't I've even never, go there, yeah, I've never right? Met anybody like him? Because that dude, what? He could have said a million things that were definitely more self fulfilling, and he never did any of that on that podcast. I've never heard him ask for anything, right? Once, and, and I've known him almost a couple of years. So it's so knock on zero zero one is going to be for someone out there. Okay. They're going to bid on it. Sornex, what do you guys want to do? Do you want to do anything? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we'll throw in the spot. No, perfect. Yeah, we'll throw in an off-grid rack and also Ooh, a um, damn. Uh, guess a, a guest invitation to Winter Strong 2021, which is invite only. When is that? Uh, it'll be probably February next year, 2021. Will you go? I'm, I don't know if I'm going to have a choice. That's exactly right. Chad, Chad pretty much is uh, told me just to be ready. <laughs> you guys, to you get you guys are in. Yeah, yeah. Right. Small, small group. We'll be there. Be done I right just need it on the, the calendar soon enough. That's yeah. The only thing that's we'll be hard. here at the farm, but it's usually invite only. But we'll uh, whoever wins that'll get <laughs> He's freaking 
those thunder thighs of yours. <laughs> Sturgill has like the only chair creaking in here is Sturgill's. Yeah, Sturgill has. I mean, if there's anybody that has calves as big as his and a pair of Gucci slides, <laughs> dude, you got some. You got some freaking some Scottish hillbilly jeans, man. Yeah, you, well, no, you got some straight up like freaking. Ass. <laughs> Some straight up ass. My wife's a big fan. Sturgill can get to his wallet by reaching over his left shoulder. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sturgill just reaches over his left shoulder and itches and he gets his wallet out and is like Amer- American Express black card. <laughs> you going with the short shorts too of vacation coming up, right? Ooh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Where I think uh, huh? we're moving about an hour from here for the rest of the year like Naples no, I mean not to I give it away I want to say man yeah. place. people blow up my spot and shit yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, there. Just going, I'm going fishing Atlanta's going to be awesome I'm just going fishing yeah Atlanta's going to be awesome Atlanta is where it's yeah. at um, yeah you know man I don't know what happened I hate cold weather I think three or four winters in Utah and working out on that rail yard in that snow just killed it just killed it i don't i I just my whole my only goal left in life i want to you get to pack a point some snowshoes with those thunder no nah, man i just want to wake up and put swimming trunks and flip-flops on every day and say i'm dressed and call it call it a day that's really my only goal love it i'm done with clothes i don't like he's again, naked have right pretty, now but you're done podcast. with clothes you know how hard it is for me to just have a t-shirt on right now and hang out well believe me like, as hot as it is in this freaking state right now it's hard for me to have a t-shirt on my wife, because we got three boys, you know, who pretty much run around in their underwear, and I'm basically the same. Yep. I'm, I'm like a giant hairless four year old <laughs> at home, pretty much. <laughs> yep. So to tell me when people are coming over, so I put clothes on. Pretty much. Yeah, our neighbors. Sorry if you're listening. <laughs> Just we usually our windows are pretty open. Yeah, man. Well, those deals. Life is short. It's hot as a mofo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we're in a trapper's cabin right now. My back sweat is freaking pooling up. Speaking of pulling up, we got uh, we got some archery to do. We got bow fishing tonight. Yeah, we got one more got archery a, lesson. We got, we got bow take. fishing tonight. What do you got? We got to take a nap. You're taking a nap. I could probably take a nap. I'm feeling. Can always take a real pro. Could always take. We're a nap. gonna have a late fishing night, right? Yeah, but yeah, Dad's I, gonna need some I mean, seas. if you're with me, we're taking a nap on the way there. Oh, driving. bastards. <laughs> I just I just pulled the short straw on that deal. Yeah. Ouch. Hey Prescott, you want to go fishing? <laughs> possible. It's possible. Well, all right. That's a good place to end it. We're gonna do this fundraiser for Special Forces Foundation. Super good cause. Hundred percent, one hundred percent of everything is gonna go to the foundation. You throwing anything in? You tell Not me, to man. put you on the spot. Well, I, brother, I have thrown in so hard on that the last two years that I'll just keep throwing in. It's I don't have anything to offer because I'm unemployed now. So anything cool I could say that like you can come be a part of that, it doesn't exist anymore. Sign a bow? Well, if you're going to come to the Winter Strong and you give an invitation to the Winter Strong, then they get to meet Surge. Hey. That's it. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to pretend to be cool. No, um, definitely cool. If you come to Winter Strong, I promise to make you look like you're super fit because I will not be. <laughs> but he'll be freaking shooting aces. He could, 
I don't Dang know. It, he gets surprised. He gets surprised everybody. Yeah. Well, a lot of Winter Strong takes part in this cabin. What exactly do you do at Winter Strong? I know we're trying yeah, to Yeah, yeah. Chad's so, so like, you got to come to this thing. It just sounds like really exhausting is all I can gather. <laughs> Last year, we did um, a full day of courses on precision rifle, archery, pistol. Okay. I'm down. Survival. Down. We did down. blood trailing. Um, totally down. Um, so making people making with fire the- with primitive bow drills. This sounds like yeah, it's a good time. So we summer have summer camp for exactly what it is. Okay. Forty year olds. So we yeah. get all I of mean, our cool people that are all experts in these fields. They these each, are all like straight up trained killers. Straight and up shit. trained okay. killers or survival experts. Each one of them do a class. It's kind of like hey, here's what I brought. We all do a class, and then the next day we did about a half class day, and then the second half of the day was a competition, which included everything you learned in the class, like a four hour team competition so it was shooting running lifting archery blood trailing observation and it was the whole deal and we all got done and and uh we had neil kamimura and his wife cooking uh all brazilian style they flew in fresh produce from hawaii we did stuff out there we did knife making at night i mean it's just <laughs> it's just badassery for adults five bucks okay. i'm down with all that yeah as long as it doesn't like turn into fight club at one no 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 well i mean I'll freaking beat your ass yeah and then uh Choke sit around the so fire with, with good people man. dry fire your bow on your arm so fast <laughs> dude i've had my neck broke that gucci really? movie you just did is nothing <laughs> gucci move yeah that freaking leg <laughs> you had your you neck just did huh you had your neck Jocko broke? broke my neck damn that's like you should make that into it's a hard and wait you, it's hard, you were dude. wrestling Jocko I don't know about wrestling <laughs> defending yourself and it, <laughs> I went freak mode for about 30 seconds and he just put me in place it happens no big deal <clears throat> it's your fault I'm definitely not gonna fight Jocko yeah you will no way cause he's coming <laughs> if you have a problem with me you have a I'm problem a, with I'll him. walk up to him I'll get drunk as shit I'll be like you don't look so tough Dude, let's Jocko get one thing. Let's now. get one yeah, thing. Jocko's under my bed right now. <laughs> let's get one thing straight. The way you're you not drink, so scary, man. The way you drink, you're not getting drunk. Hey, man, I went pro a long time ago. I actually retired. They hung my jersey up. I Did I pull you out? Did I like no, burn I'm just your pl- coin? I'm playing along, but like you don't want you don't want daddy to turn it on, man. Yeah, dude. <laughs> okay. DD right. is coming. It coming uh, out. Oh man. Well, the problem is. My thing is, <laughs> once I get there, I want to stay there for like three weeks. Okay. You know what I mean? Well, that's cool. John but gets it. He's like, right over. My, my archery would, would undoubtedly improve. So uh-oh. That's what keeps me in archery. These are amazingly <laughs> are clear. Dude. I know, right? <laughs> you look like a baller in those. Yeah, really? Yeah. You like Hunter S. Thompson kind. You can have those. They look so good on you. Sturgill Sturgill shades. Will you right. sign these for me? I'll wear these. <laughs> But not if they don't mean anything. <laughs> they actually have a brilliant color. And I'm not just saying it here. You look they're, uh, I'll let you borrow them. What do you call you it? Gradient? Was it? Why do you say that? Oh, look at these. <laughs> Dude, suits them these. Is a big fro going on? No, you have no... Fr- you don't have a fro. You got all kinds of nonsense going on. You have the biggest beard that takes away from every other thing you have in life. <laughs> these are sweet. It's beauteous. Hand them back over here. I liked them. 
I mean, I don't want to steal them from you, but I just bought those back in February in Europe. Because dude, I, when I you showed up yesterday with these, I'm like, okay, he's pulling Rockstar card. Yeah, he is. Damn. He did have mud on his tires though, which gave street cred. He did appreciate that. It's just because he took a wrong turn. Mostly gravel dust. <laughs> just took a wrong turn. <laughs> Let's be fair. All right. Give, before we end, honestly, one thing that you learned in archery that's helped you and that you feel like could help someone else. Give one thing. Concentrate on follow through. What about release hand position? Well, that was today. But the thing that changed my archery, how yeah. I even thought of it, was follow through. Well, the release was, hand position puts me in position for that. And that was, was the angle today. Follow through is critical? Yeah. I mean, I, I never thought of it at all as just, you know, as an athlete for my whole life, everything was always follow through. And I was telling Prescott earlier today, I was like, what your style of coaching has taught me is like, it's kind of like in golf, keep your head on the ball, follow through. And this is keep your pen on the target, follow through. And always before it was more aim small, miss small, tries to squeeze the, squeeze the trigger very, very carefully. And yeah. That was the, the thought process, which tends to lead to bad stuff. So follow through is kind that. of my new thing. And it's kind of funny to be 43 years old and go, oh, I should follow through in a sport. Perfect. Amen. Makes total sense. the video on that. Sergio? What do you think, bro? What have I learned in the last 22 hours? Yep. That could apply the rest of my life? It's 24 now, but... Just, uh... Don't let anything get in the way of your lifeline, man. Ooh. Wow. Damn it. See? Freaking songwriter, of course, deep. just blows me out of the water with that. And that's just, like, it doesn't matter if it's archery or nothing. Yeah. Keep, so, keep your lifeline undisturbed. Ooh. All right. So, hashtag lifeline undisturbed. Sergio, thank you, bro. Yeah, thank it's you. It's awesome. Bert. Ooh, they connected. As stupid as it sounds, you guys are both just super rock stars both ways. I mean, one of my musical favorites, one of my mentors in archery. It's really, really cool. Thank y'all for coming. Likewise, man. This place is awesome. (laughs) Super legit. Awesome places go. This is truly one of them. (laughs) So, yeah. Come back anytime. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Uh, don't drink if you're under age 21. Knock on everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com. <laughs>